So when she got offered this position of doing all the cover arrangements for Wednesday, she called me and asked me if I would be interested in collaborating with her for the orchestral one. Uh, so like for the ones with cello. And obviously my answer was yes. I worked on it during the pandemic. So And I spent the pandemic in Turkey. So the fact that I worked on a Tim Burton project in my pajamas from my home country, <laughs> like it is so wild. And the call was basically, Essen, we need this by tomorrow because the actress is having a cello lesson tomorrow. So like, can we do this really quick? And I'm like, yes. Like in our world, the answer is always yes. And I think there's this beautiful inspiration that comes from the adrenaline. Like you only have a few hours, so you're going to make the best out of those few hours. Obviously, I would have wanted to put a like full month of work into my arrangements for Tim Burton. Yeah. But we didn't have that. So we made the one night we had work and thankfully the audiences loved it. I know you haven't heard the name Essen Eidengaz before, but I predict that one day we're going to hear it a lot in conjunction with Oscar-nominated film scores. And even though you haven't heard Essen's name before today, you have definitely heard her work in The Witcher and in Wednesday and in Black Barbie, a documentary, all of which you can currently enjoy on Netflix. And on Wednesday, November 8th, Essen will be here in Austin at the Long Center, along with Orquesta Folklorica Nacional de México, to perform Disney and Pixar's Coco Live to Film concert. Essen, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so excited to speak with you. I am so excited to speak with you. I cannot wait to find out <laughs> how you have become Yay. who you are. I mean, <laughs> such, so fascinating. So many questions. Okay, so I, we're definitely going to talk about Coco Live to Film concert that's coming up at the Long Center. But where I mm -hmm. want to begin, Essen, is way back at the beginning with where you grew up and where music first entered your life. Sure. So I'm originally from Istanbul, Turkey, and I lived there until I went to college. Um, and when I was four years old, my grandfather got me this toy keyboard-like thing, and then it it uh, immediately became my favorite toy, and I started learning songs by ear, which then yielded into my parents getting me like private piano instructors. And um, eventually, when I was in third grade in elementary school, I started going to a state conservatory program. So in a way, I was going to two schools at once because the conservatory was also very serious, and you had to do like 40-minute long exams where you have to play memorized repertoire and stuff. But anyway, so I got into music through classical piano in a way. Um, and in my elementary school, I would always be in like choirs or musical theater clubs. So I would always be on stage. Uh, but sadly, I didn't enjoy practicing so much. I loved performing, but I didn't want to put in the effort. So when people were telling me to perhaps like consider pursuing music as a career, at first I wasn't interested. And then around the time I was 13, uh, my best friend who started piano after me wrote a song and my stupid teenager brain went, oh, like if she can write a song, I can write a symphony because I've been doing this for more years. So then I started exploring with writing music. And at that time I was listening to Evanescence, which is a rock band. I don't know Ooh, if you know them. Yeah, very um, nice. Yeah. yeah, and she started writing music when she was 13. So that was also an inspiration. Uh, and then the more music I wrote, the more I started loving it. I did some high school songwriting contests and I always got awards, like either first place or second place. So that kind of gave me the courage to actually pursue this. And also I love Disney so much. Um, my parents took me to Orlando when I was seven and I remember leaving the park 
in tears and promising myself that one day I would work for them. But at that age, I didn't know what I could do for them. So when I started writing music and when the feedback that I was receiving from people was like, oh, this sounds like film music, that became the thing that I wanted to do for Disney. And I have been working with them in different capacities as a like music director, conductor, arranger, pianist, but I've never composed for them. But the ultimate goal would be to score a Disney Pixar animated feature film like Coco and then tour with that. I think that would be insane. Uh, I have no doubt that that is in your future. Let me just say it right now. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I see it for you. Uh, uh, 100%. I see it for you. You know, I was just messing around a little bit on the internet to prepare for this. And, you know, your mu- your music is has such a quality. Like, it, Thank you. it reminds me, which it's not the same. It shouldn't necessarily. But the, the emotion that I get makes me think of, like, Ennio Morricone. Like, I can't. Oh my god, I love him. <laughs> I can't stop listening. I can't look away. Like when I start something, I can't come away from it. So I was listening to Yet to Be Dreamed, the piano duet. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I was blown away. Not just because the song is extraordinary, but there was so much joy and relaxation in the performance. And I was oh, like, how? You. How is that even possible? Like, there's a lot of focus. And intensity even, but there's so much relaxation with it that you don't normally see. Like I, you know, I, when I think of great pianists that I've seen, like maybe Anton Nelf as an example, I don't see a lot Uh of like relaxation. I see a lot of focus and intensity. Do you know what I mean? Uh Yeah. I mean, I enjoy what I do a little too much and maybe that comes across because even with conducting, like I thought I would be so nervous going on the stage. Like, because we go to these beautiful performance halls, sometimes that holds 2,000, 3,000 people. And, you know, I thought I would be nervous. So when I'm up on the podium, I'm so calm because I guess that's where I'm hopefully meant to be. I think that's and it's it. The most beautiful feeling ever. Well, and it's, you know, you can, it can be where you're meant to be and you could still be nervous. Like, we know many performers, very famous performers, yeah. and Barbara Streisand is one who still gets like very, very nervous to perform, even though mm-hmm. that's really what she should be doing. So it's an, I think it's an extra thing that the calmness and the joy like is, is so visible and so yeah. expressive. Like, it's a it's a unique thing, kind of all of its own, which is so fun to watch and yeah. makes and makes me think like, wow, OK, look, that's possible. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think I would also be nervous if I'm a soloist and just like alone on the stage. But getting to share this with, a, with an orchestra, like everything is built upon trust. I know that if I do a little mistake, they're going to cover me. And if they do a little mistake, I got their back. So I think because we're doing this together and because like all of us, all 20 of them and me, we put so much time and effort into the like practicing and getting ready. So I think the relaxation also comes from the preparation a little bit. Yeah, I can understand that. I get it for sure. Okay, so let's go back a little bit because I got so excited. I jumped forward. So you you (laughs) decided at a certain point, I'm going to... Mm -hmm. Be, um, I'm going to make my money in the world of music. And so then Correct. were you thinking, okay, then I need to go to a conservatory that's going to set me up for that? So when I made the decision to actually become a composer and professional musician, I knew that 
I couldn't get the education I wanted in Turkey simply because in Turkey you either have to go the super classical conservatory route or you have to learn more like ethnic folkloric Turkish music. Um, and I didn't want either. Like I had a goal that was really clear and distinct, which is that I want to write music for Disney and Pixar and Broadway. And I want to be in projects where different art forms come together. For example, like Cirque du Soleil shows are really interesting for me or the firework shows at Disney or writing for theme parks. I just love um, being a part of an unforgettable experience for someone. So, and for me, those are when different art forms come together. So this tour is that way too. Like you experience animation, which is a beautiful film and a beautiful story. And there are talents of hundreds of people that went into it, uh, but there's also like a concert aspect of it. So I don't know, I thrive in those kinds of projects. So when I was searching for schools, I immediately uh, found Berkeley College of Music because they're like the best in contemporary music and all these like uh, new genres and new technology. And they were one of the only schools that was offering um, film scoring as an undergrad program. So that's where I wanted to go. And at first I did a summer program there. When I was 16, I went to this thing called uh, Five Week Summer Performance Program, which now they call Aspire. But anyways, I wasn't sure if I could be alone and away from my family. Like I'm an only child, I never left them ever. Um, but then I loved it and I never felt so free and so happy and as if I belonged there. Like I belonged to Berkeley more than I ever belonged to Turkey in a way. And that was my answer that this is worth exploring and worth doing. Wow. That's how you really know you're in the right place for yourself. Yeah. That is very Absolutely. well said. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and it really does sound like the school was sort of tailor made for how for where you wanted to focus and how nice that you yeah. got there and felt like, OK, yeah, this is it, because you could have easily gotten there and felt like overwhelmed and unsure. Yeah. And actually, a lot of people do uh, because like everyone who goes to Berkeley, they're the stars of their little town, little city, whatever school they're coming from. They are the musician of that school. But then the moment they come to Berkeley, they're surrounded by all these other amazing people. So then they start questioning themselves, like, am I really worthy of being here? Am I good enough? Am I this? Am I that? And like, you can see it as a negative thing, or you can let that inspire you further and motivate you further. And like when you're with people who you think are better than you, I think you have this thirst to be even better and put even more effort. So luckily, like that's the kind of reaction that I gave to it. So for me, it was a very educational, beautiful, fulfilling experience being there as a student. Yeah, I can see how that would, in a way, um, inspire you to elevate yourself more. Yes. So coming out of Berkeley, how did your mm -hmm. career unfold? Um, so in my last year at Berkeley, which, by the way, I did two majors and a minor there. So I ended up staying five years. Um, I did a class there called Scoring Silent Film, which was this um, class that is health school based, but also a professional experience in the sense that we had performances in public places and also had a tour. Uh, so as seven selected students, we scored a silent film by Harold Lloyd. And then each of us got like 12 to 15 minutes of the movie to write music to. And then we also conducted it live to picture. So we opened the San Francisco Silent Film Festival. We had a bunch of concerts in the East Coast. We went to some islands like Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard. So that was the first time I actually like enjoyed conducting the picture. Um, and 
but that that was so beautiful. But the truth is, when you graduate, you start from the bottom. So after I did that glorious tour, uh, I did nine internships, and like most were unpaid. And when you're an intern, you don't really get to do music. You just you know prepare coffee and take care of the UPS boxes that get delivered <laughs> or do tasks that have nothing to do music. So to be perfectly honest with you, my first year was tough because I was like, oh, like did I study this much? just to do these types of tasks that I don't enjoy doing. Um, but I think it's like how one enters professional world anyways. Like you have to start well. Right. Um, but the more like I get to know new people in LA. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention this. Immediately after I graduated, I moved to Los Angeles. Um, and the more I met people who saw what was in me and who saw that I was passionate and who tried to open doors for me or invite me as an observer to attend their recording sessions or like gave me little opportunities um, it started becoming more and more beautiful and I also joined some organizations Society of Composers and Lyricists and Alliance for Women Film Composers they are both very supportive like networking groups in a way um, you pass each other gigs you support each other in different roles uh, there are many film screenings and you get to hear from those composers and being close to the professionals who are actually pursuing this uh, was a whole other level of inspiration. And then I kept staying in LA. First, I did my small short films here and there, but every time they go into a festival, like it's a big excitement, you know. Um, and sometimes I would music direct at community theaters or kids theaters. So like I did so many different things, but they were thankfully all in music. So they always kept me in my route. Um, and my relationship with Disney began because even before I graduated from Berkeley, I was going to LA just to see if I would like the city, kind of what I did with the summer school. And when I did that, I found 50 Disney executives from LinkedIn, whom I couldn't message from LinkedIn because my LinkedIn wasn't professional and we had no mutual connections. So I stalked them all on Facebook uh, and I wrote them messages like, hi, like I'm a seventh semester student from Berkeley visiting LA for a few days. Do you mind meeting with me for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, and giving me advice? And thankfully, two of them got back to me, but nothing came out from it. We just like had a brilliant chat and they showed me the studio. But a year and a half later, one of them saw my message on the day that he had to find the music assistant for their new acapella group back then, which is called Decapella. So then I like magically and miraculously got hired uh, to be the music assistant. They then changed my title to assistant music director within a year. And through like knowing them and working with them, more and more opportunities came through. Oh, my God. I love this. Like you just never know <laughs> the connections yeah. that you're going to make. And imagine if you hadn't reached out and tried that. I know. I'm so glad I reached out. <laughs> it's, it's so clever. And it can be so difficult in our mind to do that. But it's so smart. I mean, because you have nothing to lose. So they so they don't yeah. message you back. You're in exactly the same place you were before you reached out. Exactly. It's just planting seeds. And honestly, like now that I'm five, six years into my career after graduation, I'm sometimes more hesitant to reach out because I'm like, oh, like, let me wait for this one, one project to also get released. Or let me wait for two more months so that I also have this that I can showcase. So like now when I message people, I keep postponing so that I'm more perfect or like, more qualified when I take their time to read my message. But because I did this when I was a student and when I was fearless, 
It yeah. really worked in my favor. Yeah. So I should learn from the old me and keep doing it. Yeah, I think so. Because reading your bio, Essen, I was like, oh my gosh, look at everything she has done. And this is just the beginning. <laughs> like, we've all heard your music, like from The Witcher and Wednesday, that cello painted black, that iconic cello piece. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Man, thank if you, thank you. that, I mean, that piece is just, it's so extraordinary. Tell me how long it took you to write that. It took me a, a night because that's the deadline we had. There's this amazing woman producer. Her name is Alana da Fonseca. And I got to work with her uh, because she does a lot of acapella arrangements and she needs someone to like transcribe her arrangements really quick. So my boss from the acapella, the Disney acapella group, the Sharon, recommended me so I started doing a little bit of work for her again at a very like assistant level uh, but she knew that I like know orchestral music and that is my passion and she's more from the pop world so when she got offered this position of doing all the cover arrangements for Wednesday uh, she called me and asked me if I would be interested in collaborating with her for the orchestral ones. Uh, so like for the ones with cello and obviously my answer was yes I worked on it during the pandemic, so and I spent the pandemic in Turkey. So the fact that I worked on a Tim Burton project in my pajamas from my home country, like <laughs> it is so wild. And the call was basically, Essen, we need this by tomorrow because the actress is having a cello lesson tomorrow. So like, can we do this really quick? And I'm like, yes. Like in our world, the answer is always yes. And I think there's this beautiful inspiration that comes from the adrenaline. Like you only have a few hours, so you're going to make the best out of those few hours. Obviously, I would have wanted to put a like full month of work into my arrangements for Tim Burton. Yeah. But we didn't have that. So we made the one night we had work and thankfully the audiences loved it. Oh, my God. It really speaks to what's possible, yeah. you know, which is anything. Yep. You in your pajamas in Turkey. <laughs> yeah. In a way, in the entertainment world, like things are always happening at such an emergency level. But I'm like, do doctors feel this much pressure? Because like oftentimes when we get the call, it's like, I need it in one hour. We're like, okay, okay, we're going to get this. But like, don't worry, it's fine. Well, and that um, is a lot of so, pressure. Yeah. Like, you, I don't think of people who are creatives as necessarily performing creatively under pressure because I'm like, you need inspiration and, you know, you need emotion and like, but no, I mean, there's many stories of songs being, uh, being written when in like a 24 hour turnaround timeline, you know, yeah. especially when it comes to film or whatever. And people are really able to produce creatively in these circumstances. And from the outside looking in, it seems like that would not be the way to get it done. Yeah, I agree. But look how it works for you. I mean, what is that process even like? Like you, you sit down and you're like, okay, I have an hour or I have a night. I mean, how do you even begin? It changes from project to project. And sometimes like beginning is the hardest part because like once you're sitting by your rig, right in, at your studio, like wherever you're working. And once you press that first note, you're in the zone and you know that you can do it. But before you begin, you always question yourself and you're like, oh my God, like, do I deserve this opportunity? Like, will this be the one project that people are going to find out that I actually don't know anything? Or I think like a lot of artists always constantly deal with uh, imposter syndrome. Mm, and yeah. I got to meet some like incredible Oscar winners, Emmy winners, like they go through it at the age of 75. They're like, I'm going to get fired on this project. 
And I'm like, you can't think that you're a legend. <laughs> like, wow. Um, so that never goes away. That's amazing. I don't think it does, but that's also beautiful because it always keeps you on your toes. Like you're always trying to be your best, even when you're so accomplished with so many awards and when you have seen so much of the world, like you're still doubting yourself and you're still trying to be the best version of yourself. So I kind of find it beautiful. I think I agree with you because you you take that self-doubt and you use it. You know, it doesn't break you down. Maybe it just helps, like you said, to keep you sharp. And maybe that's why these people who are creating into their 70s are still creating and creating beautifully. I don't know. It's maybe it's magical. Absolutely. And as for your question about like how you begin the process. Um, so generally, like when I work on film and TV projects, I ask my directors to give me um, adjectives to describe the scenes and to describe what they want me to make the audience feel or like from which character's perspective I should tell the story. Because if I just sit down to write a concert piece for my own, there are so many paths that I can take or like so many topics that I can write about that it's harder to begin. But when I have a film and TV project, the world of that story and I don't know, the world of those characters, they already guide me in the right way. So then I don't get uh, drowned in all these like limitless possibilities. Then I know what I'm doing and I know what the director wants. Like sometimes they send me um, Spotify links or a few MP3s on what they want it to sound like. And sometimes they're like, you know what? I just want you to go nuts, like create something, just pay attention to this, 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 and let's see what happens. So those limits or those freedoms that are coming from the directors is, I don't know, what makes me create what I do. So it's always a conversation. And then you just have to trust yourself once you get whatever direction you get and then just go, right? Yeah, exactly. And some like being hands-on and like they want to see all your little sketches, but some love receiving a very polished product from the get-go. So like it's always getting to know people and figuring out what how they prefer working. Ah, that keeps it uh, different as well. Like it keeps challenging the brain in other ways too. Exactly. And like, I feel like if I always did animation, I would maybe get bored. Or if I always did documentaries, I would get bored. But the fact that like within a day, sometimes I do horror, animation, silent film. So they're all drastically different. So even if I'm in my studio alone by myself all day, what I'm creating is so different and the directors that I'm talking with are so drastically different that it, it always feels fun. Wow, that is so cool. So how does it happen if like you're in your studio and you're working on a couple of projects and let's say mm-hmm. for the sake of argument, the deadline is, you know, two weeks out or whatever. And then you get a call mm-hmm. that's like, I need this in an hour. You have to be like mm-hmm. flexible and adaptable and able to change your your daily structure on a moment's notice, right? Yep. It's a lot of all-nighters, I'm not going to lie. And then because I don't see this as a job, like it's my passion, I would rather be on a project than to not be on the project. So I don't know, every project that comes my way, I see it as a gift. Like this Coco Tour is, I think, the biggest gift of my life because I'm having such a great time. And it is so nice not composing alone, but experiencing all of this with an orchestra and getting to see the audience's reaction every night because as a composer I don't get to do that like I create I write the music I make the producers happy but then I'm not necessarily there to see how the audience reacts to it because by the time it becomes public like I'm already on my like fifth next project or something 
so it's really really refreshing to see all those kids like laugh to the music or at the end try to come give me fist bumps and high fives and <laughs> i don't know getting standing ovation it's like giving me goosebumps every night or just playing the disney logo live yeah and having that immediate feedback that's um yeah yeah there's no substitute for that so let's talk about what it's like that process where so the coco to live film concert is coming to the long center mm-hmm. Um, on yes. November 8th. And what is it like where you're you're going to be there with the orchestra and mm-hmm. you're doing the music live while the movie is projected on screen? To me, Essen, that seems like a lot of pressure. No, I think it's much, much, much easier than, I don't know, conducting Beethoven or something. Wow. Because A, the audience's main focus is on the movie and the movie is beautiful and nothing is going to ruin that. So we already know that the audience is going to love it. And then um, I have a separate screen in front of me that also has the movie going, but I have some cues just for me that guide me with the tempos. Or let's say if we have one minute of uh, like no music, I have a countdown of when the next piece of music is supposed to come in. So because I'm looking at all of that information, it feels very organized. And I don't know, like I feel like you can't really go wrong. And also, the music isn't something that everybody in the audience has been listening to bajillion versions of it, and they already have so many opinions on which conductor their favorite is or whatever. So I feel like there's less pressure, and I just have to be perfect to make sure that the music and the film are completely in synchronization so that we can create that magical effect. Because especially in this movie, because it's about music, there are so many scenes where Miguel, uh, the main kid, is playing guitar and our guitarist needs to match that 100% because if he doesn't, the magic is gone. So it's like a cute challenge in a way. Yeah. But we've been nailing it every show. So hopefully they'll do that in Long Center too. Wow. I mean, that is really something to see. Yes, it totally is. Yeah. Have you ever seen a movie that was performed with a live orchestra? No, I have not ever once seen that. We're going to change our lives. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and this is like not your first rodeo. I mean, because you were talking about, you know, being at Berkeley and, and other sort of things mm-hmm. that you have done. So it was like, in a way, you were kind of the, the perfect person to tap for this. I mean, yes and no. I think like I had a little bit of experience, but I never thought my first real professional conducting gig would be touring for Disney. Um, I think, I don't know, that's my fairy godfathers and mothers like helped out, I guess. (laughs) It's Disney magic. Yeah, it still blows my mind. I'm so grateful. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, it never hurts to have, you know, um, fairy godmothers and godfathers on your side. Let's talk about your conducting, because first of all, there are so few women who are conductors in the world, period. I don't know why Mm -hmm. that is. Do you? No, but hopefully we're changing it. Yeah, because I think music is very much relying on emotions and uh, instincts and intuition, and I think women are really strong with all of those three. Honestly, right now I think there are so many women conductors who are emerging. Like I've done some workshops, and it wasn't just guys and me. We were also like five, six women comp- uh, sorry conductors. So I think there's more and more interest, and I think there's more and more opportunities. Uh, especially in, in LA, like for both conductors and composers, there's always an ask for, oh my God, like we want a woman conductor, a woman composer, which I appreciate to a level, but then I want to be hired for my musicality, not because people want a woman conductor. 
but yeah, I think like in the future, we will have more and more of us. And it is about the yeah. individual. I agree. You know, somebody who composes something, regardless of whether, you know, they're male or female, it's the individual mm-hmm. experience that's coming through. I'm curious to know about where you find inspiration, because there is a quality to your music, Essen, that is, I think is very different and very uh, attractive, like magnetically kind of attractive. You're so kind. Thank you so much. Um, I think it's because I grew up listening to orchestral music. So like you can't go to school for it, but for someone who has never listened to orchestral music or been to rehearsals or been to concerts, it would be hard to just learn it in college in four years. I think because I have been doing this since I was a child, like I have an advantage and it's so natural to me. Um, and also, like, I love listening to different composers. And like, as I told you, like, I lived in L.A. and I went to all these movie screenings and I got to hear the composers and music supervisors and the other creatives in music speak about their work and their creative process. And you always learn something from them and then try their ways. And I don't know, I'm always open to new ways of getting inspired. And I always look at the bright side of things. So for me, it's been a very fulfilling journey so far. Do you ever have a situation where you're drifting off to sleep and then you get an idea or an inspiration and you're like, oh, let me just get up and quickly make note of that so that I don't forget it? Yes, I'm, I'm such a night owl. So I'm like, I love creating at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. That's my prime time. Uh, but for me, it's really hard to create immediately after I wake up because I'm not a morning person. Mm. But yeah, like before I go to bed, I make sure all my ideas are up there. Uh, you and I would make excellent roommates because that's how I feel too. <laughs> like in the morning, I can't even make sense. You know, it's just, no. yeah, no, yeah, that's interesting. You're truly on a tour. Like you mm-hmm. are with Disney and Pixar's Coco in concert. This is a tour. You're going to many, many cities. What is that Correct. experience of, of traveling and touring? How has that been for you? It has been so fun. Uh, so some of our performances are at these incredible like auditoriums and uh, performance halls, but some are in colleges. So I get to also experience the different colleges in the U.S., which has been so fun because Berkeley College of Music didn't have a campus. So I really enjoyed getting to see these beautiful, like ultra green college campuses across the country. Um, and then so the entire orchestra is Mexican and I'm the only non-Mexican. Uh, but it's their first time in the U.S. for most of them. And the grand majority of the cities that we're visiting, it's my first time seeing them too. So I love that we're seeing the U.S. together and we can also bond over this. Um, Other than that, so this is a bus tour. We never sleep on the bus, but we travel with bus all the time. So even though the travel days are nice, I hate the days that I'm not on stage because I miss being on stage. Um, so it's been interesting because they're all looking forward to having the off days and I'm like, no, like we have another off day. I want to be on stage. Wow. That is Um, so great. Like you've really figured out how to completely blur the lines between work and play. Yeah. For me, it's honestly not work for me. It's living the dream. Yeah. That is so great. Yeah. And as I said, like getting to meet all these people who try to connect with us after the after the shows and you know tell us how they've been feeling or every once in a while we would have some amazing uh, Mexican audience members come to us and say how like we brought them to tears 
getting that connection has been the best part. Yeah. So you can see immediately how your music is affecting people in real time. Yes. I really wish the composer would also come to some of the shows and get to hear his music create that effect. Uh, but he's very busy and very successful. So he, he must know how much his music is being cherished right now. Yeah, let's hope so, because that's it. That's got to be the thing. I'm imagining you um, at a point in the future in the dark theater watching a Disney movie <laughs> for which you have composed everything and seeing everybody's reaction. Like, that's that's really where it's at. I would need Kleenex to sponsor that concert. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful. I would be in tears. Fair enough. Okay, what else would you like people to know about the Coco Live to Film concert coming up November 8th at the Long Center? I would love to talk about the orchestra a little uh, because, I don't know, they're, they're such a special orchestra. Uh, it's a blend of uh, philharmonic instruments mixed with um, cultural Mexican instruments. And they're called Orquesta Folklorica Nacional de Mexico. And I don't know if you know, but in Mexico, there's this super famous and successful ballet that's been going on for over 60 years, Ballet Folklorica. Yes. So they used to have a roster of musicians that performed for their ballet performances. And then recently, they decided to turn it into an orchestra. Um, so again like all the instrumentalists are coming from the musicians that they've had for a while but the orchestra was specifically put together for for the coco tour so it's interesting like it's my first professional tour and it's their first as well so we also bond over that and they're such warm and kind and lovely people which also made this whole experience be better than it could have been so very grateful to have this with them yeah, it must be such a bonding experience with all the travel and then being on stage and all the rehearsing. It's such a collaboration and there has to be so much trust. There is. And actually, we had one of the venues, I think it was Calloway, North Carolina. Uh, the electricity went out, so we had no power, but we still had audience members come. So what we did is, like without rehearsing this way at all, um, we performed in the parking lot. And our stage lights were car lights and bus lights. And we performed some music from the movie. Unfortunately, not synced to the uh, picture as we couldn't carry the giant screen <laughs> to the parking lot. Yeah. Um, but they performed some of their ethnic music. And then we performed some stuff from Coco. So like even in, the, in a crisis situation, uh, we are all trying to bring our A games and nobody's ever complaining. And everybody's just so joyful to do this. That's so interesting so. because you didn't give them the performance they were expecting, but you gave them a performance and one that they'll likely remember for the rest of their lives for reasons you couldn't Correct. have possibly imagined. Yes. <laughs> Disney magic. Disney magic, indeed. This is just really an extraordinary partnership you and Orquesta mm -hmm. Folklorica Nacional de Mexico. And it will be quite sad, I imagine, after, you know, living together for a couple of months and doing all this performing. It will be a, a bittersweet ending, I, I think, to move on. Yes, I'm already devastated that we only have 28 days left. So yeah. I'm trying not to think about it. Yeah, it's not, you know what, that's right. Be in the moment, you know, be in the present yeah. because there is so much joy to be had still. Yeah, it's so funny. The villain in the movie, Ernesto de la Cruz, keeps saying, seize your moment, seize your moment. So we're like seizing every day <laughs> and making the best out of it. Nice. I love it. 
<laughs> Essen, thank you so much for your time thank today. Thank you so much. This was so lovely. And thanks so much for putting such time into researching me and listening to my music. It means the world always. So oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. A hundred percent. Thank you so much. I'm Juliet, and I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with composer, conductor, and musician Essen Eidengas. And I hope you'll come find me on the radio in Austin, Texas at Magic 95.5. Don't worry if you don't live close by. You can always stream it live on the free Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. And I'll see you on the radio.